0: Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the January edition of Untangling Transportation. I am Ron Brooks, founder and CEO of Accessible Avenue and longtime ACB member, resident of Phoenix. Uh, and longtime uh, participant in the transit industry. I am very excited uh, that you all have joined us uh, this evening. Uh, Very excited to dive into this topic. Uh, Before we do, I want to just uh, acknowledge some folks. I want to uh, first acknowledge um, our host, Travis, who will be assisting with uh, managing the call, uh, helping folks get... uh, Uh, called uh, when it's time to make comments and muting and unmuting and all that good stuff. Uh, Also, I want to acknowledge Herbie, who has taken on uh, several duties tonight. He will be uh, assisting in Clubhouse, and he is running the stream. So, Herbie, thank you for that. We We are on Zoom. We are in Clubhouse, and we are on ACB Media 6. So, welcome to our ACB Media audience as well. Uh, this is going to be a great conversation, and I'm really excited um, to chat uh, with um, our guest, perhaps guests, um, if David has joined us, about uh, a topic that is near and dear to my heart. So before I do that, let me just give you a little bit of an overview of how the conversation is going to go. We're going to have a conversation with our guests uh, who have joined us tonight uh, for the first part of our call, and then we're going to open it up, and we're going to let you all jump in, ask questions, make comments, and engage in the conversation, and it's going to be a great conversation, so so let us go ahead and dive right in, and I would like to start by introducing our guests, and is David Bouchard on the call yet?
1: Nice. Yes, sir. Oh, yes. Uh, okay. Oh, I apologize. Yes, I am here. Awesome. Okay, we are
0: Yep, gotcha. So cool. So we have two uh, folks who have joined us tonight. Uh, David Bouchard uh, is a, a member uh, of of the council in Oregon, and and he works in the public transit industry, uh, doing um, planning work around accessibility. And and we're going to talk a lot about that as we dive into this. Um, and then we're also going to talk with Donna Browning, who's in the uh, uh, Virginia and the DC area, and she works in a a customer service center for a national paratransit provider uh, who is providing service in that area. So we've got two people from different parts of the country uh, doing very different things in an industry that's near and dear to my heart. And so let me just introduce this topic, and, 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 then, and then I want to just jump right in. So I began my transit industry career back in 1993 almost thir- thirty years ago, like it'll be thirty years this year, and it just seems like it's um it's a little depressing actually to be truthful but but it's really um exciting. I've my entire career in public transportation uh, and when I started and and even now there there were well when I started, there were like no disabled people that I knew about working in the industry. I'm sure there were people, but I didn't know who they were. I didn't know where they were, and there were no blind people. I mean none i yeah, you know, I went to conferences. I would talk to people and there was nobody else and now that's changing and it's and it's it's not changing fast but I know folks around the country who are working in our industry who have disabilities uh I know folks that have that are blind and have low vision some of them are at managerial levels um some of some of them are at higher levels and some are at frontline levels and some are somewhere in between and and they're doing a lot of different things. It's not just, you know, one thing. It's not just working uh, on services, you know, like paratransit or or accessibility, but it's both of those things and other things as well. So, so the question becomes, you know, what are, what are the opportunities? What are the challenges? Uh, and, and why should we consider it? And is it a really good option? opportunity for folks with uh, who are blind or have low vision. or are these guys and me, are we just lucky? And so we're gonna just dive right in and talk about all of it tonight uh, with our two guests, David, Donna, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So so let's just jump right on in. Um, let me just start and I'll start with you, Donna. If you could just share a little bit of your backstory, uh, where you live in the world, uh, and maybe a little bit of, of how you got into public into the public transportation space
2: and what you're doing right now. Okay. Uh, I'm Donna Browning. Um, I am in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, wow, how I got into transportation. So um, one of the first things I did was I worked for a cab company um, and, because I needed more money. And so I went and um, got that job. Um, But the one thing that really got me interested in transportation was um, I had the opportunity to actually go in front of um, our city council and um, fight for our cab drivers to become independent. Um, And they won. And I was really excited about that because that was really scary going up in front of them. Um, I had never done that before, so I was trained how to do that. And then went up and said what I had to say. And, um, of course, I had a personal touch to it. And then later, as I worked in the um, cab company, I'd always wanted to work for where I work now. And I kept asking, do you have any openings yet? One day... I went and made a a reservation. They said, you need to send your resume in now. I did. And um, yeah, I went. It was a very tough. I've never had such a tough interview ever. And I've had panel interviews before. This was this. The director uh, of senior services gave me a really tough interview. Um, And they were still just a little unsure. So what I did was. I knew I knew that software. I told him, I said, I'll tell you what, I give you one day for free. And I promise you, you will see that I can do this. Well, it only took about an hour and they realized that I could do it. And they told me I had the job. So that's how I got it.
0: Great story. Wow. You put your money where your mouth is. Absolutely. That's awesome. David, how about you?
1: All I mean, think right. got a very
0: interesting story. So. <laughs> well,
1: um yeah, it is a long, it is definitely a uh long story uh in a way. But I so I grew up in the rural deep south in uh, various parts of Mississippi, uh, where I'm originally from and Alabama. I went to the school for the blind there in Alabama for a few years. Uh about 30 born about 31 years ago. (laughs) Uh, And so I, you know, had no knowledge or really main experience with public transit. You know, I I definitely had an interest in that type of thing as a, even as a young child, I think my first ever bus ride was on a city bus in Birmingham, Alabama as sort of a Like, here, let's sell, we'll show you how the bus works, but we don't actually use it. (laughs) It was just, you know, sort of a a novelty. And uh, at at no time did I even have access to that on a regular basis. But um, things started to change uh, when I left, uh, once I graduated high school in Starkville, Mississippi. um, I originally um, got into the blindness space by joining the NFB. National Federation of the Blind, um, and was a member of the, that organization for a number of years until uh, recently uh, when there were many uh, revelations that were unearthed about uh, sort of things that were going on that decided to me uh, to join ACB. But um, anyway, so I went to the training center in Ruston, Louisiana, and where I first learned uh, really, you know, how... I, I learned cane travel and a bunch of other uh, skills for for nine months, and I, cane travel was something that I really uh, took off with. I, I, you know, it. I remember it as a younger kid having really subpar lessons in that area, so I, I didn't really progress because obviously there were no opportunities to really exercise those skills. But once I was there in Ruston, Louisiana. Uh, it definitely uh, changed things, and I became very interested in using buses uh, because I had to use those, you know, the Greyhound to get back home to Mississippi to visit, uh, and then we did some various bus traveling lessons, uh, very basic ones in Monroe and Shreveport, um, which are the ne- the nearest cities. So I just, you know, the whole idea of being able to just take a you know, a bus or a train or whatever and uh go anywhere it was was great so that is you know that's really how I became interested and then I uh started off going to college um after that but I had um because I was still sort of in that car centric mindset I'd you know misjudged miscalculated the how rural <laughs> you know how uh, difficult that would actually <clears throat> be and so I um Ended up, you know, leaving the 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 college on the mountaintop in the middle of nowhere in Tennessee, University of the South, uh, and then going back to Baltimore, where I had uh, done uh, summer counseling for blind students uh, before my first year, before and after the you know the summers before and after the first year of college, mm-hmm. and that second year I was actually tasked with teaching high school students cane travel, uh, you know, crossing streets, uh, catching buses, so. That's really when I began to really use buses on a daily basis, uh, really, you know, started to, to figure out the ins and outs. And that's really where my awareness of wanting to be in public transit began, because I stayed in Baltimore after that summer of 2012. Uh, ended up working for Blind Industries and Services of Maryland as a residential manager for a few years while going to University of Baltimore In public policy, and during that time, I uh, was really trying to rely and and depend on that on a very abundantly abundant but uh, unreliable uh, transit service in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, I was was becoming frustrated by the all of the the various um, issues that were going on, and I began to get more involved and. you know, learning more about the MTA, participating in inaccessible, semi-accessible open house, online open house stuff. I eventually did join, uh, before I moved to Portland, I I joined the Citizens Advisory Committee on Accessible Transportation. Mm -hmm. I was able to uh, develop an alternative or spearhead an alternative access uh, plan to get information out to blind folks about um the massive network redesign uh called Baltimore Link and getting everybody you know who couldn't read maps turn by turn directions of the the proposed routes uh and we were able to do that in just a couple months uh given that the there was only really an 18 month turnaround with, when the project was announced by the governor and uh when it was supposed to be implemented um but over that time i you know it's starting to realize that baltimore was not Um, really where I wanted to be long-term, you know, the idea was, you know, the the job at Blind Industries was really meant to be sort of a stepping stone. I was never really intended to work there. Uh, So I was starting to, you know, in the back of my mind, wanting to find new places. And I ended up doing a lot of traveling to various cities and just exploring, uh, you know, (laughs) doing self-care, because I would be working in the evenings, and then um, I ended up finding Portland. I, I had a cousin here; uh, she's still here, and I, you know, came to visit Portland and Seattle, and it was just it clicked. Awesome. Uh, so very shortly after, I ended up moving, uh, continuing schooling at Portland State, uh, and that's where I, you know, got involved with the bus riders union. Because just like in Baltimore, I began to really embed myself into what was going on in transit, you know, watching board meetings. There's so much more transparency in the West as far as, you know, what the processes are and, and, you know, and how things work. So that there was just so much to absorb. And uh, through that, I joined the Bus Riders Union um, and which was, you know, unique to me and that, you know, there was actually an organized group that was, you know, advocating for transit for the general population and I, uh, I was involved with them uh, for a couple of years. I um, was with them uh, as the chair of the, uh, there was like a, a, a research and advisory, you know, committee of members as, mm-hmm. um, and we uh, were able to really advocate for a low income fair, um, which, for, you know, a, spec- a specific discount just for folks with low incomes uh, and really focusing on uh, the, demilitarization or, or sort of the uh, you know, softening the the kind of the armaments and the and the force that uh, you know you'll sometimes see with transit security and making it a more a holistic uh, solution that with more com- you know ca- compassion, compassion and, and, sort of right. and care mm-hmm. rather than uh, rigid enforcement. Um, but, you know, as I kept to live in, you know, kept living in Portland, I, you know, it ever became more and more pressing to get, you know, steady employment because uh, you know, I did have to, you know, with su- with support a family and such. I was able to sort of take that cut for a while, but I that wasn't going to be sustainable. So I was really starting to look for work Um and I, I saw, you know, work at, you know, jobs at TriMet and I was still interested in getting involved on the other side of, the, you know, getting into the, into a transit agency to sort of learn and 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 be able to sort of make change in that, in that way. And so I initially applied for a uh, field, what, it, what do they call it? it it's basically a, a community a field community relations representative. Mm-hmm. So they, mm-hmm. you go out, you're basically a mobile customer service rep and you, you go around to wherever, you know, to busy areas or where they're, you know, max light rail disruptions and so forth. So I applied for that. I applied for a call center position in the uh, customer service department, uh, all under the same division. Uh, but um things sort of you know things were going well i was going through the interview process very well uh for the um the field outreach representative position uh i didn't and then um when it came to the driver's license requirement uh things started to slow down a little bit uh you know they then offered me a different position uh which i was interested in because it was more hours um, an eight, additional eight hours and more money. Uh so that was fine. But then uh that was going all right. And then there were uh issues with uh inaccessible, very inaccessible software uh that are related to uh the processing of uh, or, you know credit cards. And mm-hmm. so there was that really slowed things down again. Yeah. But they you know the HR team, you know, I look back at it, you know, initially I was like, really, uh, anxious about all the delays and I was really pondering, you know, what I was going to do about it. Uh, and, but they've HR pulled through, uh, and they, uh, got me a position, um, in the service planning department as an administrative assistant, uh, which is really kind of where I was wanting to be anyway. Uh, they just didn't have an opening when I, you know, on the website, but I mean, I was really interested in service planning, all along. And I think it, it just really worked out that way. And so I just do a lot of very um, various uh, tasks and uh, work for service planning. Uh, and that's kind of it in a nutshell. I mean, there's, I could go on and on, but... Um, yep.
0: That's- no, it's, and we're going to get into some of that later um, as we talk, because I've got, I want to dig into some of those things. And you know, let me just go uh, back to Donna for a minute and just describe when you first started. so and, and for you, you know you not that so much the taxi, but thinking about your your time in the paratransit space where you're working, um, you know taking calls from customers, it, it sounds like you started, you hit the ground running. Um, and you know maybe it's because you were already doing a lot of the same stuff somewhere else. but talk about that first when you started. What was it like? You know, what were the challenges, uh, Donna, that you that you had to overcome and
2: how did you do it? So the first thing when I went um, and had the interview and then they showed me what computer I was going to be using, I'm like, "Hmm, wow, this is a little screen. Um, And, you know, I knew I had my software, but I wasn't sure the screen was going to be big enough to really support um how big I was gonna have to make it um Mm -hmm. I knew that I'd done it before but this was set further away from me Mm -hmm. on the screen and I so you know I had to work those things out a little bit um and uh, I did um it took a little doing I've had to even up to today I still have times where I've just got to work through things kind of tweak things do things Mm -hmm. uh you know uh memorize screens, um, so that I don't have to necessarily make it so big, um, or, um, you know, things like that and just make it big when it's necessary for me to really read it. Um, and, um, software that I had in the past before the ones we have now, the hardest part I had with it was the, um, it was, (laughs) it was a lot of white. It was a lot of, it was really bright. It was really hard. Um mm. and then we moved into this building that had windows right beside me. <laughs> okay. In the afternoon it would start wiping out my screen. So eventually I'd ask for a bigger screen. I was like, this is just not gonna work. And I need to also take light bulbs out above me. Mm. So they did do that. <laughs> and um that worked great. But then we moved again. And uh, they didn't want to be so cooperative about the lights because my my um, co-worker started complaining. Well, that's just right above me. Blah blah. <laughs> so I just tried to work it out, and then luckily we got the software we have now. But I had to go quite a while just to kind of.
0: So a lot of adjusting and readjusting, yes. and you know, oh so, yes, yeah, it's just yeah.
2: constant. And um, they, I did eventually like i try because i you know my office is a nonprofit, um Mm -hmm. so i try to keep the cost down for them and i was really surprised when i told them you know um you can just use the windows magnifier for me because it also has navigate you know it also has narrator if i need it Mm -hmm. and i said that'll save you money and they said you sure because you know we will get you the other because I checked her the new price. I'm like, well, this is what's going to cost you. <laughs> so they said, okay, we'll try it. And if you decide this is not working, we'll, you know. So I was like, I, I've already, I use it at home, so I know it's going to be fine. So I yep. do try so, to save them in that regard.
0: Well, let's um, step o- let's step away from software for just a little bit because I want to make sure we don't lose track of the fact that when you oh no, I'm to getting work, to that yeah so yeah
2: so um. You know, it's it, it's um when I first started, you know, luckily I had already done a little bit of similar stuff, you know, mm-hmm. when I did with the taxi. The difference was this time, um, you know, I was dealing with different types of reservations. Um, but I have to say, the thing that's the hardest to deal with is when you say no to them. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. They,
2: they don't like no. Um, but Um, for me, because, um, of me having a disability also, it, it does make it different. I, I can empathize with them. I can even sympathize with them. I get Mm -hmm. it. I experience Mm -hmm. everything they do. And if I, if they're having a bad day or it's something, I'll, I'll tell them I use it too. And some of them that helps others. They don't want to hear it. (laughs) <laughs> um, but some of them it will calm them and then they'll be well, thank you. I, I hadn't thought about that, and you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, yep. that's and then they they like it when they know somebody's on the other line like them. Um, so yeah. Good. Um, but I I I I was really excited to do it because I like working with people. So for me, I was just wanting to get. In there, because I I went from, cus uh, at one point I'd been in a call center where I sold stuff to go- the federal government, you know, office blast stuff, mm. and then did taxi. Then this, this has been my favorite job. I, I, I feel like this was this is my calling in life.
0: Good. I really feel Good. that way. Yes,
2: Good. because so I, David, I, oh sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, because I just feel like. I'm helping people do something that they need to do. They have no other way of doing, they've got to go places. They have no other way of doing it. And what they've got to do is just as important as what other people, you know, as people who can drive got to do.
0: Absolutely. So David, I want to just dig in a little bit on, on some of yours. You did a really thorough job of kind of walking through your journey and I really liked your journey reminds me a little bit of mine, although I think yours was actually more. Um, I mean, you had a lot more steps that you took, but you really walked into transit from the space of advocacy. You know, you started really on the outside, kind of focused on pushing transit to do better and be better, and you came in through that door. And that's a really, uh, a really cool story. I'm really curious if you could just spend a couple of minutes talking about. The people that you worked with when you got started, how were those relationships? How did people, you know, react to you as a person who's blind? How did you, you know, kind of create your space within the organization in a way that worked for you? Um, and how, how are those relationships evolving over time?
1: Ooh, man, that's a good question. I will um, I'll do my best. I, I guess I'll, you know, briefly start with sort of relationships Um in when i initially started getting into the trained space in general uh you know with the in baltimore with the committee on accessible transportation uh i, I really felt you know that the blindness i'm totally blind uh and there really wasn't any you know there, i was i would say that it, the relationships were were positive um i think they were you know i would i would come in and i had Different suggestions on, you know, how things could be improved or, or, um, were or how they were problematic. And I was actually invited, you know, the, the chair of the Access Advisory Committee, who was like, "Yeah, you need to apply." And I'm like, "All right, well, that's that works." And and so everything, you know, it was really a, a, an accessible process. Um, mm-hmm. I did, you know, there were definitely things that I noticed, you know, being an advocate um, how you know that there was bureaucracy. There was definitely um, th- there were you know definitely things that I observed. You know tensions between the the you know certain members of the committee and and the you know the transit you know mm-hmm. professionals. But um, so anyway, as far as blindness goes, I think there was it, it was a pretty even footing. Um, and then in Portland, um, I would say it was generally positive, although um, so the. You know, the group that I worked with, Opal, uh, you know, they really had not had a lot of experience with disabled folks. Uh, So there were a lot of things that, you know, weren't fully accessible, like wheelchair access. You know, I'm not a wheelchair user, but I definitely, you know, that was definitely a problem for, for some folks. And I noticed, you know, people, you know, I saw people, you know, potential members having frustrations with that an occasion, uh, you know, things where there's a lot of visual stuff, a lot of, you know, let's do things on um, you know, whiteboards or let's do, you know, um, oh god, like the various visually, you know, appealing thing ways to organize information. So I really started to get to see more of that. Uh how, you know, in transit especially, uh, because there are so few blind people, it's a very visual. Uh, nice. space. And uh, so I had to oftentimes just do a lot of listening, uh, just absorbing you know, information and, and, and not always, you know, getting that, you know, access to some of the, the, the spatial data is probably one of the more challenging things, even now. Um, mm-hmm. It's always sort of a challenge. So, you know, definitely was then when you know you don't have a lot of resources, you know, financial resources to get yeah. you know, technology and such. Um, so, but you know, I did. I, it was sometimes frustrating, though. There would it was I, it was frustrating to sort of have that access problem. And you know, I remember you know one time we had a you know a document we were. It, it was we were advocating for you know board positions uh you know there to be new board members that that were on Opal's side and there was one document that was they you know felt was rather classified and so they didn't have they didn't send me an accessible copy just to be you know safe I guess there was mm-hmm. I don't know it seemed a little and you know at the time I was interning with them uh, and that was being sponsored by the Oregon Commission for the blind so they weren't even really paying. They were having me work. I was working, but they were not yeah. having to pay for it. So, right. and then they didn't. And that's sort of eventually kind of, I started to really look for other work because I was like, well, I'm at the point now where I need to, you know, get some compensation, you know, rather than just the stipend. It's very little, you know, it, I wanted to do more work, but also I need to be paid for it. And sure, um, sure. so I kind of, you know, drifted away for a little bit and then found that work at TriMet. Um, and that, it, that's a different experience altogether. You, you know, it was, I'm amazed at how like, you know, you know, when you navigate and you walk around someplace, you know, there are always people who want to guide you or help you. You know, if you're totally blind, they see you're you're you with your cane or whatnot. You know that that did not happen really at at TriMed. You know, even now, like people, mm-hmm. you know, they I I have my own. I'm given space. I, I I don't have to worry about being, you know, micromanaged in that way. Uh, it's it's a very, it's actually a really respectful environment. Um, people are very, you know, not to say that there aren't. In general, you know, there's definitely always conflict in every organization, but it just being it's a very professional uh, behavior uh, and, I,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I was that really kind of put me at ease because I didn't have to worry. I didn't have to have that anxiety like, oh, and my if I my cane hit something, are they gonna someone's gonna <laughs> uh, try to correct me right, right. Um, but then, you know, there were definitely things, you know still with accessibility of information. Um, you know, service planning is a very visual uh, field, uh, doesn't have to be necessarily, but it is, and, and Then it, you know, because we're a minority. Um, <laughs> so, um, I have to do a lot of listening as well. And, um, it is definitely, you know, though I would say that folks are, you know, they generally would assume, I mean, this is another thing is I think everyone has assumed that I, and, you know, rightfully so, I think that I, you know, would be able to find a way to do whatever it is that they, you know, asked me to, mm-hmm. to do, and um, so that and so that was you know, uh, refreshing, and um, yeah. I wouldn't say that people went out of their way to describe things. People, they're not, they're not going out of their way to describe everything that they're showing.
0: Yeah, they're uh, just but doing their I,
1: thing. Yeah, they're doing their thing. I'm doing my thing, and and honestly, you know, as an assistant, I, I'm trying to walk that line. Uh, but, you know, I obviously, you know, I want to get as much information as possible. And, but I also need to, you know, a lot of it is just sitting back, you know, kind of absorbing and, and learning how they're doing mm-hmm. their processes. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, after I absorb that information, then I can better, you know, determine what I need, you know, as far as yeah. visual information. So, we,
0: well, you've both kind of talked about some of the challenges that you, Face in your work, what I want to now is kind of shift to a little bit bigger picture and step away from, you know, the day to day kind of challenges and overcoming technology and, you know, interacting. And I want to just talk about the career because, you know, one of the reasons that I really wanted to feature you all uh, is because I believe, and I want to find out what you think, that the transit industry. And that includes everything. I mean, th- there's a lot of space in there. That's public transit agencies like where you work, David. That's private companies like where you work, Donna. That's nonprofits. That's government agencies. That's uh, private for-profit companies that are uh, operating service or or designing technologies for the industry, building products that the industry consumes. I mean, it's a huge, huge industry, and I think that it's an opportunity for for people like us who are blind or have low vision to really do something what in the tech industry, we call eating our own dog food, which is where we're basically the consumers of the product that we produce. And so I want to just dive in a little bit around there. First off, I just want to ask you real quick for each of you, what is kind of your goal in the industry? Are you in the position now that you want to hold for a long time? Do you have a a goal that's different if so, where, I'm just curious where you see yourselves wanting to get to in the industry. And Donna, go first.
2: Uh, okay. Um, I've been in my position for quite a while. So, um, you know, one day I, I would, you know, I think I would like to be the supervisor. Mm-hmm. Um, I have had that come up, but I wasn't quite ready for that yet. Um uh, because um i just wasn't i cuz i i really do like doing the job that i'm doing now and this and um my office the supervisor doesn't do it as much as i do and um mm. she sometimes has to uh, do some of the hard stuff so <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> but no that's that's where i would like to be and um mm. yeah because um i i think i there's some Decisions that I would make slightly differently than she does right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I um, hope that one day I may be able to have that opportunity. Because I I just want to uh, try to make the. Because uh, sometimes the industry is not always a happy adventure for them. And I, I just want to make it as easy for my clients as I can. It's not always easy. Yeah, absolutely. David, how about you?
1: Well, um, as you know, I've been administrative assistant uh, in the service planning department for about just over three years. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, there's definitely uh, still room to sort of grow in that position. There's a couple of, you know, various ranks, that you know, there's senior administrative assistant there's you know other sort of administrative type things that can be done Mm -hmm. uh you know there's also differences between so I work in a department and then our department is in a division and so there's obviously you know I could always you know go up to that division level but I'm I'm interested um I still need to do some work to get there, but um, I'm interested in really maybe becoming an actual service planner. Mm-hmm. Um, although I need to kind of figure out how I am going, you know, what, you know, what my flavor of service planning will really be. And that's kind of what I'm still developing because, you know, cited there, I don't know any blind service planners um, and there are it, right now, it is a still a very visually driven, um, yes. Uh, position, you know the the software that the, you know is all, you know the re, all the transit, you know remix, mapping software yeah. <laughs> and remix. All, that's not, yeah. Although mm-hmm. it could be, there's you know they just we just need to get some heads together. But um, there's a lot of challenges there to still overcome. But I, I think um, even if we can't get all of those challenges, I I, I want to explore more. Uh, other types of lenses uh, to focus on in service planning. You know, one of the things that I, you know, one of the tasks that I've been doing is, is you know, going out in person onto the system, doing field visits, reviewing different corridors. So, you know, I want to kind of take that field observation or that, you know, the field work and sort of eventually develop that into a sort of a discipline to uh, gather information. and. Uh, and inform uh, decisions that way rather than only using, you know, sometimes we, you know, we service planners really, you know, they can only focus so, on so many channels of information, you know, and so oftentimes it's ridership data and, you know, um, but there needs to be that holistic, you know, ridership data and conditions, you know, field conditions um, yes. and such. So, I you know I definitely see myself in the service planning, the network planning um, mm-hmm. area for a while because and I really you know I'm all about pro transit expansion. I want to see more more service. Um, there's still a lot of realities that I'm you know there's you know departments can be rather conservative and 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 sh- a little bit shy you know in putting out new service because um, they want it to perform well and so it, you know when you so there's you know there's still a lot for me to learn about um you know balancing various um needs and realities uh you know of what you know what we can provide in this country with our current levels of of investment that we yeah, generally yeah. have but so yeah that's um i'm yeah i'm pretty still i'm pretty new in my career um and i, I don't intend on going anywhere anytime soon it's definitely um Working in, yeah, I mean, the if anything, you know, it's a stable. It's definitely a stable position now. Uh, There's really only room to go up at this point.
0: Excellent. Well, let me stay with you for my next question, then we'll go to Donna. Um, So, we've talked a lot about the job. We've talked a lot about the the kind of how you got into it and some of the challenges. I would like you to just share what you believe your Experience, lived experience as a blind person, how has that impacted your ability? And I'm not talking now about accommodations. Okay, now I'm, now I'm talking a little bit more generally. How has that shaped your uh, skill as a professional? Or, or maybe, you know, how has that flavored the quality or the way that you do your work? In terms of your constituent let me give you an adva- an example so so i know that as a blind person um I, I do a lot of work in in the space of on-demand paratransit and i know that because i have experience as a customer that i have a sensitivity and an awareness to the customer's concerns that many people don't have in my industry and in doing the work that i do And it gives me an advantage uh, in certain situations. And I didn't see this for a long, long time. Um, I always thought blindness was just basically a big disadvantage. It made it harder for me to get promotions. It made it harder for me to find jobs. It made the work harder. I didn't recognize the strength that I brought to certain spaces because of my experience as a blind person. So if you could just talk um, for a couple of minutes about what you think, how you think your blindness has. Kind of powered your work in in you know good or bad or however.
1: Well, it definitely has um, influenced you know what I bring uh, to the table in a number of ways. Um, so one thing that I do for work is to monitor the database of all of our customer uh, comments, complaints, etc. that that come in through the phone or through email to the main customer service line, and then it goes into a database. And so I monitor that to look for trends relevant to our department. So, you know, each department does that. I'm focusing, I'm looking, you know, they want me to to look for, you know, things like, you know, what people are saying about our service changes and so forth. Um, So, you know, I really look at, I, I really am focusing on the anecdotal, the written information that the customer is providing, um, because, you know, I, you know, to be honest, I don't have as much exposure, you know, I'm not as much of a visual data person, where I would just want to look at, you know, trend lines and so forth. A lot of cited, I think, you know, that's a, yeah. definitely mm-hmm. a, it's a thing that you can do as a blind person, but it definitely is, it's something that's not as natural. Uh, it doesn't come, it's just not, it's not the same experience. So I'm really focusing sure. on the anecdotal data, and looking at that. And then communicating, you know, what people are really saying to, you know, to the folk, you know, I, I meet with someone, at one of our service planners every week and we go over SIPs and we call service improvement process SIPs. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, it's, so I bring that, um, I, I think I dive more into that anecdotal data than other people probably do. I think, you know, they and I look at other things, you know, comments for um, there. you know other other types of comments when we're collecting uh comments for various projects or or uh service redesigns um so that that's just a kind of a strength that i bring to the just the day-to-day um part and of course i do you know they have i'm assigned to do you know meeting minutes and you know i i'm a pretty thorough uh, you know i take you know, I take good time to to make sure that those are you know are pretty thorough. So, I'm really definitely focused on the text, on you know, on the written word, uh, and you know, reading, writing that, uh, rather than just focus, you know, focusing as much on just visual charts and graphs. But um, and then as far as you know, what I kind of bring to the rest of the agency as far as you know, my blindness experience. Um, I remember on white cane day of 2019, it was a, for just a couple months after I was hired our government affairs, uh, one of our government affairs specialists who i kind of knew, had known about from Opal. And, and, you know, he comes over and he's like, yeah, we've got this request, uh, this blind middle school student. He wants us to have Braille on all of our bus stops. He wants us basically to overhaul all of our signage to be, you know, ADA compliant. He's blind. And, you know, could you help us out with this? And, uh you know could do some research or just you know um you know kind of be part of that uh s- solution finding effort mm-hmm. uh and so you know that was definitely something um you know being a new rookie i was like oh yeah yeah sure and then i you mm-hmm. know i told my boss and it was like oh well okay well yeah he probably should have you know because it's a different department and you know he wasn't against it but he you know he was like yeah you know if it's a different department definitely um, you know, let's let's talk about that because um, yeah, that's you know how it works in that in that type of space, and that's sure, you know sure, that's a very sure. um, but it but anyway, we you know I started to do research. I you know uh, interviewed some local OM instructors. I gathered information about wayfinding, and you know, I, I, obviously, I knew I had a lot of my own experiences as well, having been on a bunch mm-hmm. of different systems and seeing what works and what maybe doesn't. Uh, and so I, you know, interviewed, uh, gone on a couple of conference calls with uh, various, you know, representatives of Translink in Vancouver and the Navilens company, which is a, a wayfinding yep. solution, and all these different things. And you know, I just pulled that information together and communicated that to the higher ups. Uh, and now I'm part of a um, ad hoc committee of the. It's part of the committee on accessible transportation and it's focused on wayfinding. Uh, We're actively public meetings. Anyone can watch uh, on Mm -hmm. YouTube and it's all um, it's, and we're focusing on looking for solutions uh, to, you know, make the system more non-visually accessible from the website to, you know, trip planner to physical infrastructure, the works. Uh, And it's all kind of, it And so that's, you know, and then i on a couple other, you know, like last week, our best, one of our senior bus stop planners who I see all, a lot, you know, he comes over and he's like, hey, can you, you know, give me some I- ideas because we're, we're trying to come up, you know, put in tactile warning strips for um, bike bypasses where the uh, up and over where the bike, where you have a bus stop and you have a bike bicycle lane behind the bus stop between mm-hmm. the bus stop and mm-hmm. the sidewalk. And so how right. do we. How do we warn blind people about that? And, and you know, so I was explaining, you know, while I'm not an expert in, in this field, you know, I'm just a blind person with lived experience. You know, I, I'd explain truncated domes. I've talked about, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about the various, you know, other uh, tactile guidance with like, you know, horizontal and vertical bars. And uh, so things like that, they want to, awesome. you know, because I'm they know that I have, uh, you know, I, they know I'm transit dependent, you know, I use the bus, all the time. So they know that I'm always out there. And so they're willing to, you know, ask questions. And then in my field work, I, uh, I have, you know, I'll go out and I, I've sort of selected different corridors to review based on, you know, higher ridership and and kind of the larger, you know, cross regional corridors. And I look at, you know, I visit bus stops. um, I do it all on transit. I look, I, you know, analyze, you know, with my other senses sort of the conditions of the bus stop and make notes, look for you know accessibility barriers, you know other things like that, and uh, both learn the system and then I you know, I, I make notes to have uh, for future use. And the other you know, it's such yeah. a massive organization that you know you can be collecting data and it, you know, just because it isn't used right away, <laughs> it will be. Uh, there's just so much there's always work to do
0: so i want to stop you right there and just say i mean first off i just want to acknowledge because you're doing work and we're going to come back to you i want to go to donna but i just want to acknowledge something you said because i think it bears repeating and it bears underscore you're you're working you are doing something in a planning space and i i began my career as a planner and i could tell stories about trying to do uh, rail system planning back in 1993 before there was technology with a bunch of sighted engineers, half of whom are German um, at, you know, and, and working for a rail system um, at you know, the age of 26. And, you know, th- a lot has changed, but one thing is, and it is very rare uh, for a person who's blind to be in such a visually intense environment and contributing. And, you know, what you've done and is you have mastered the ability of taking your lived experience. Um, and mixing it in and using it in ways that support people who generally are very visual. And these are just not things they're even going to see. So, um, and we're gonna come back to that. I'm gonna ask you one more question in a minute, but I want to jump back over to Donna. So, Donna, mm-hmm. talk quickly about your how your blindness makes you you've done this a little bit, but maybe just reiterate how your blindness helps you or or impacts the way you do your work and the way you show up in your job.
2: So um, the one of the things um, I get to know my clients and um, some of them I know personally, and some of them I don't. So the ones I know personally, uh, if I, um, or if I know the client's blind or visually impaired, if I see they're getting a lot of no-shows, I try to find out why. I'm wondering Mm -hmm. Okay. You Um, you don't just suspend them? uh Huh? (laughs) Yes. Well, that's what I tried to help them avoid. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. So,
2: um, yeah, because there have been instances where we, you know, there may be a client who's hard of hearing, but also blind. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: That could cause Mm -hmm. interesting issues in them getting their trip. Um, And some people who are blind have better O&M than others. Yeah. So some are going to do fine at getting trips. Others, if they have bad OM, they're not going to do so well. So I try to, if I know them, you know, what they're capable of, uh, it helps me to help them. <clears throat> like um, one of the things we've discovered that if uh, that's helped a lot of our visually impaired people is to tell them uh, when they make reservations to have us put in the notes to have the driver identify themselves. Yeah, um yeah, because yeah, we've had an instance where somebody got in the wrong vehicle. So, so that's not good. So what? um we we try to avoid that. Um and also it helps too because it helps me identify somebody who may need um services who has been overlooked, oh. fallen through the cracks, mm-hmm. and I can help them. Well, at first they didn't want me to necessarily do this, but they later have seen the um benefit of it so now they just tell me unless the lines are really really busy i can do it if they said so it's really really busy just do like you were doing and get the name of the person calling back so i will try to help people um who may be lacking in services or have none at all to get what they need so that they can um become more independent um
0: so you're talking about empathy you're you're saying basically uh, that
2: your yes. blindness
0: has given you a level of empathy
2: absolutely that-
0: and that, that, that is absolutely something worth noting because again, you know, one of the things I wanted folks in the audience, cause this is really for you. I mean, we're having a nice chat, but this is for folks out there who think what, what you know, we all know that blindness creates challenges. I mean, that, that's, we all understand it. Got that. Got, you know, we read the memo. What we don't always think about is the ways that it makes us better. Uh, and that, and that's. That's new for me. And I'm way into my career. I'm not, uh, I'm not quite as young as David. So you know I had to learn this and it took a while. And, and so this is something good because as you think about whether it's transit or any career, you're bringing some stuff to the table that, that may not be obvious, but, but it sure is valuable. So I wanna quickly ask you each one last question because I wanna get to our, our audience um, with the time that we have left. So quickly, Don, I'll start with you. Mm -hmm. If you had one piece of advice for folks on our call who are thinking about public transportation or passenger transportation as a career choice, and they're not too sure, what would you say? Two sentences. Give it a try and do research. All right. Give it a try. Do research. Awesome. David, same question.
1: Learn the trend, learn your local transit system and other transit systems and get involved in, you know, try to get involved um, wherever you can in the decision making process so that you can learn uh, more about how it all works. It'll really help you when you get in.
0: Excellent. All right. We are going to open it up now and we're going to take as many questions and comments for our guests as time Permits. We going to ask the host to just give us a warning at about twenty five past the hour, um, so that we can wrap up. But we are good till then. So, uh, Travis, if you would like to uh, start calling on people, and what I'd like those is just first name, where you're from, and then your question. If it's to either David or Donna, be let mention that, or if it's just a general question, and we'll just see where we go.
3: All right, believe it or not, we have no hands.
0: No hands in Zoom. What are we looking at in Clubhouse? I'm just giving people time, but uh, so far, no hands here either. So far, no hands. Okay, well, I guess we've answered all their questions. (laughs) So I've got a couple of others because I was prepared for just that eventuality. Um. Okay, we do have one hand now. Oh, good. Well, now you see, they heard that I might ask a question and now they're (laughs) rushing to the exits. Um, Go ahead. Sue Ellen.
3: Okay, this is Sue Ellen. I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, My question is for Donna. Um,
2: Does it ever make life complicated, your personal life complicated, dealing with people you know if you have to have had have had to tell them no. Does that ever end up coming back to bite you in your personal life? No, I don't let it. I I make it clear to them I'm doing my job, and uh, if they feel that is too personal, I'm sorry about that. But uh, that I my job isn't you know I have I I have to follow the rules, and um, I will do what I can to help them. But uh, I'm going to stick with what. I'm having to do because I'm being paid to do it unless they're going to pay me. You no, know, no. But I do tell them, no, um, I, I, I tell them, you know, I'm not going to let this get between us if you don't. And uh, they general, all of them generally know what they can and cannot do. This has happened. Yes. It, it actually has. Uh, but we, we talked about it and we worked it out and I told us, I'm, I'm just doing my job and you, you really do know the rules.
0: Yeah, that's a really excellent question, actually. Because I will tell you, when I started my career, particularly when I, I was a, a young manager in Florida, back in the mid—I'm uh, sorry, the late '90s—and I was managing Paratransit, and I was very involved in the Florida Council at the time with the local chapter. And a lot of the chapter folks who lived in, yeah, you know, who were in the chapter, were my customers, and our service to be. To be blunt was bad, and it was bad for many, many reasons that had very little to do with me. But I was the manager, and it was it was a learning curve to to uh, balance that and to figure out how to draw those boundaries between Ron as an advocate, as a person at home, as a member of the Florida Council of the Blind. And Ron, who was the Director of Accessible Transit Services for, for uh, Palm Beach County Transit. And that took time. That took effort. And it was not easy. So Donna, it sounds like you've uh, you kind of set that, set that boundary. And, and that's great.
2: Yeah, I uh, had to. I had people yeah. come to my door at six o'clock in the morning. Where's my cab? I'm yep, like, do yep. I look like I'm at work?
0: <laughs> <laughs> sounds familiar. Uh, and thanks for the question. Do we have any others?
3: Giving people time so far, not yet.
0: Okay, all right. Well, I'm going to throw a question out while we are waiting, and it kind of really feeds off of that. Could you guys just talk about a little bit more broadly about how you um, are able to balance your roles as advocates, uh, which of course means pushing for more and better for, for folks, maybe folks within the council, maybe you have other areas that you advocate for. Um, How do you balance that with your roles in transit and transit? Let's get clear. Even if, even if people in transit like and agree with you, they have jobs to do. They're, they're not advocates when they're on the clock. So how do you balance those roles and how do you, uh, how do you find that to be? And David, let's start with you on that
1: okay well um you know i think i don't have a lot of um i wouldn't say there are many like instances where there's you know i have a conflict with say an advocacy space and the the job that i do um although it has getting this job has definitely helped me to understand um the uh hard realities um, that are often associated with, um, you know, the decisions that transit agencies have to make. Um, and that, yes, there is definitely um, a lot of of room and space for advocates. There's a lot of things that need to be advocated for. Um, but there's also, um, you know, it also helps to, for, you know, the advocates to understand the, um, you know, how to, you know, where to put you know where to advocate you know with mm-hmm. the transit agency it's such a large entity um and there are so many different departments that oversee all of the, the various operations and procedures and so you know you have to know kind of who to talk to first and I'm generally you know having you know kind of been on both sides I'm definitely sympathetic towards advocates but I also feel that Um, there's, um, you you know, one can advocate, it's, you know, you can, it's best to advocate smartly rather than just putting, you know, throwing all of your energy at like, you know, all in, all over the place. Um, And so, hmm, I think, you know, with this, I would say with the bus stops, you know, I haven't had a lot of, you know, I guess, pressure from the, you know, the blindness space as far as how to, um, you know, what to advocate, what to, you know, do or what to recommend that, you know, that my um, superiors do it in, in sort of that implementation of non-visual yeah. wayfinding solutions. But, yeah. um, you know, I, yeah, it's just more, you know, if there were those types of pressures, I would, you know, Be trying to explain to them how things, you know, without giving away confidential stuff, but explain sort of how the bureaucracy works, because those lessons, you know, if you understand, you know, that how, you know, you know, the different departments, you know, make decisions, then I think it actually helps to humanize, uh, you know, the people who you're sort of you're, you're pitted against and, and to to then be a better advocate because then, you know, uh, sort of what their limitations are and what they can do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's a balance. It really is. I I mean, when I was part of Opal, I mean, we, you know, their style of advocating was to go to the board of directors and, and, you know, do the testimony and then other people will, you know, they advocate in a different way. They, you know, they'll go through the advisory committee and, or they'll, um, or, you know, they'll try to meet with the, with, the, the managers, you know, maybe one-on-one, but um, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And I think sure, the more sure. one-on-one conversations are probably the more, you know, where you get more understanding and uh, and things done.
0: So Donna, how about you? Um, how are you finding the, the, you know, the balancing of your work life and your advocacy life? Uh, you know, are you doing a lot of work Say, for example, within the council, or are you kind of focused on your career? Or are you balancing? How's it going?
2: So I'll give you two answers to this. So the first one, I used to be on the commission for persons with disabilities within the city. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was very lucky. And at the time I was on it, the um, coordinator for the program for the DOT program was uh, also um, on it uh, as a um, liaison or whatever. So, when it came time for stuff that involved Dot, I could kind of bow out and let him handle it. Um Now, I'm going to give you an example of what happened with Dot. So, right before COVID, we had a situation where a lot of things were happening and people were concerned. I had a couple of people come to me and they wanted to go talk to the mayor. They wanted to... They wanted to get a group together, come up with the plan, and and have a call with the mayor. Well, I knew that I could not do this, <laughs> so I told him. I said, "I cannot do this. What I can do, I can help you prepare for your call, but I cannot be involved with the actual call because I had to be careful." Um, so I even let my director know wh- where um, where I worked. I let her know what was happening. I told her. What, I would, what part I was doing and what I wasn't doing. And mm-hmm. she said that was fine. So I helped them because I learned quickly that the way they wanted to say what they had to say was so wrong. So I helped them learn to how to say what they needed to say in an appropriate mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. Um, to get heard and not ignored (laughs) and uh, and 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 so they could keep the conversation going and not have them stop boom boom and um and then um i helped them maybe come up with ways to say it then they got together as a group came up with it they had the call and then when the call happened i disguised myself they and no one knew i was on that call because i masked my number and I didn't stay on the whole time. I stayed on just long enough to hear a little bit how they were doing. I saw they were doing fine and I hung up
3: mm-hmm.
2: because mm-hmm. I didn't want to be asked, to, were you on that? I, I, I just wanted, I wasn't even on, I, I just was on long enough to hear a little, little tiny bit. I saw they were handling it I I was done. And uh that's how I handled that because I had to be careful because it was, um, you know, kind of a very, Thin line right there, mm-hmm. and uh, so yeah, it, yeah. And, and I I struggle with this sometimes. I do. Uh, I struggle with what I see that needs to be done and want to talk. And I just had this conversation with the director. I said I really would like to speak, you know, to her boss because I see some things that really need to be blah blah blah. But like she said, she says, now are you going in as a client or are you going in as? you know, an employee, because she says she's going to pay attention to them differently. And um, she says, so you got to decide which one you're going to do. I haven't had that conversation yet because I'm still trying to figure that out because I'm so passionate about both of them. And sometimes it's just some days it's hard to draw that line. So I'm trying Mm -hmm. to still find that line. So it can be hard. It can be challenging. And sometimes it can just be very unsure.
0: You know that's a that's a really um, and I've been in that space and and tried to figure out that that midpoint between you know, what do you do as an advocate versus you know what hat are you wearing and and I will tell you that I believe that one of the things as advocates who work in an industry that requires advocacy Uh, our industry transportation is better because of the work that advocates do and it's not just around accessibility it's around equity uh, it's around non-discrimination if it's around the environment it's around pedestrian accessibility Uh, all of these areas have required the industry would not have changed very much without pushing from the outside in and we as people who are blind have a natural skill based on life experience to help with those advocacy efforts especially around accessibility but also around some of these other areas so it's a challenge because we are being told to kind of set the, the thing that makes you valuable leave it at the door don't bring it in you're here to work And what I've learned is I have to be clear about the hat that I'm wearing at any given time, whether it's a transit employee hat or an advocate hat. But what I have learned to do is to use my skills as an advocate to inform how I do my job. And I've learned to use my skills within the transit industry to help advocates become better advocates. And it sounds like that's the path you're on. Uh, and I think it's the right path. And the cool thing for people, because if you're sitting out in the audience, and you're thinking, well, do I really want to work in this industry? Because I'd have to give up my, my autonomy. I'd have to go along with the company line, you know, that kind of stuff. What I would say to you is, is, it's actually the opposite. We get to do both. It's just a matter of creativity as to how is is to doing it in a way that doesn't break the rules of of propriety. You know, when you're at work, you're at work and when you're not, you're not. Uh, But it's really recognizing that you get to do both. And and over time, we're making the industry better and we're making it easier uh, to advocate for change because we are already doing it in our jobs. So when it's coming from the public, the industry is is encountering that advocacy from a better place it's more informed already and i was thinking about as david was talking i mean one of the reasons that 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 i believe you've had maybe a better time within your agency is because you are in a state that's pretty transparent you are in a state that has a rich tradition of local people speaking up for local issues and it makes the whole process work better so I think it's a really cool kind of thing to think about that as as blind and low vision people stepping into an industry, we're making it better because of our lived experience. uh, And we're making it easier for for future change to take place. And, And we're also helping our advocacy efforts because we can take all of our transit knowledge back to advocates. And I'm not talking about sharing dark secrets, although there really shouldn't be too many were publicly funded, but I'm just talking about how it works, just what is it, how it works, how it's funded, how it's planned, how decisions get made, and how people can have input. And th- that, those are things that make advocates better. So I think it's both. Do we have any other questions uh, or hands raised or in Clubhouse?
3: Not at this time. We do not have any of this time either.
0: Okay. I'm just doing a time check. So it's eight nine. We're a little bit early, but I want to, uh, you know, one of the, one of the deals we have on these calls is that we use the time we have. And then if we have time extra, we'll, we'll open up for just general comments and questions. I want before everybody runs, we're going to announce the month, the February theme, and it's going to be a fun one. So don't leave unless you just really wanna leave. What I wanna do before I do is I wanna thank Donna and I wanna thank David for coming on, for sharing so much of your own journey in transportation. You're welcome to stick around. I'm gonna open this call up now for people. If you have just other kinds of transit questions or comments, uh, anything inside the transportation space, be happy to field those for about 15 minutes and then I'm going to tell you what we're going to talk about in February. So we'll just give folks a minute. Again, Donna, David, thank you. Any hands getting raised? Hey, it looks like we have one. Okay. So so far, Terica. Okay. If that's how you say your name.
3: It's not, but it's all right. Everybody mispronounces it. <laughs> how do Why you, don't you it?
0: pronounce it? How do you say it? Tarika. 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 Okay. okay. Where are you from, Tarika?
3: I'm from St. Louis, Missouri.
0: Awesome. Go for it.
3: So, my question is how do you find these advisory meetings that are open to the public? Uh, Because I've tried to find these advisory meetings on the website, transit company, uh, and I put in their search, you know, advisory meeting, committee meeting, meeting, and come up with nothing. And I've even tried Google searching.
0: So the transit agency in St. Louis is by State Development Council. uh, And then the, the transit is branded as Metro Transit. Um, I think Google generally works better than most agency websites from a search perspective. Um, it's just more robust. And I think, I think you're on the right track. I mean, I would. the other thing you can do is if you can't find it online, and I would try different search words and just keep trying. Uh, but if you don't find it, I would just contact the transit agency by phone. I know it's old school. Hey, I'm kind of old school. Uh, but I would probably just call by phone. Uh, if I can't find it online, um, you also might check in with your local ACB chapter. There may be other people uh, in your community uh, in the chapter that are that are uh, paying attention to some of these issues or that have paid attention in the past. And they might be able to help you as well. Uh, so, I mean, those are the places I'd probably start.
3: What did you say the parent company was called by state
0: by state? Um, it's called the Bi-State Development Corporation, Bi-State and then Development Corporation. Bi-State Development Corporation. It's a weird name, uh but it's it's the history of how transit works in St. Louis. I am such a transit I'm nerd. I know weird, somebody right? like very <laughs> nerdy. to that.
3: understand. It used to be uh Missouri, Illinois, so that's mm-hmm. probably why they call it Bi-State. Yeah, I'm old enough
0: yeah. to know that. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So anyway, I'd start online. If you can't get there, I'd go to the phone. i I've go to the phone all the time. So it works too. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Any others or in clubhouse?
3: We're still clear.
0: Okay. All right. Well, so we're not going to drag this out unnecessarily. I'm going to share what we're going to do in February. And this is going to be so much fun. And you guys get to know first before everybody else. So last week, and this is totally personal, and I was already thinking about this topic. So back last June, we had a really fun discussion uh, with a guy named Chris Webb, who is with a company called uh, Foresight Augmented Reality. And we talked about a project that, that Chris's company was doing to try to help the autonomous vehicle industry become more accessible for folks with disabilities. And and it was a, it was a really fun presentation, but, but it, you know, but it was technology. It was deep. It had like big words in it, you know, all that stuff this time I want to have fun. So, and it was fun by the way, I thought it was fun, but, but I'm a nerd with that stuff. I want to have fun. And so what I want to do is I got to take my first autonomous vehicle trip like in a true autonomous vehicle, no driver, just me, uh, my wife, dog, you know, guide dog, no driver, cars driving around, and we're the only people in it. And it was pretty cool. And what I want to do is I want to invite folks in the community if you have been on an autonomous vehicle of any kind. It could be an autonomous, vehicle like the one I was on, which is like a waymo where you, you call it and it just takes picks you up and takes you where you want to go, to autonomous shuttles, which we're seeing in some cities. Uh, anything at all. I would love to find you and make you a guest on our show so we can swap stories about riding in autonomous vehicles, talk about what was hard, what was easy, um, how we solved any of the challenges that might have come up, were we scared? Uh, all that fun stuff. So I'm looking for people that have done it because everybody has opinions. I want people to have experience to go with their opinions. So we will put the word out uh, tomorrow widely. But I'm looking for people to send me um, at our company email address, which that I can share. It's connect at accessibleavenue.net, dot net, which is all one word. Share your story just a a couple of sentences or even better if you if you want to make a little audio file or a video a video and attach it that would be even better but I'll take it either way I want to hear your stories and we're going to find two or three people uh, who can who can share their stories uh, and we're going to talk about this topic and I'm going to try to get somebody from one of the companies that can also come and chat uh, from the perspective of the companies who are developing this stuff. And we're going to talk the autonomous vehicles on the street, not in theory, not on the drawing board, not in the future, but right here right now. So if that's you, if you know of somebody, if if you know you're interested, drop us a line at connect at accessibleavenue.net. Drop us a video. Uh, just a minute or two. it doesn't have to be much and it doesn't have to be fancy. Uh, just tell us uh, tell me enough, so that I know why your story is cool and why we should put it on. And we will market this thing to the heavens and have a great time next month. And that call, by the way, is on uh, Wednesday, February 15, uh, at this same time, 9 Eastern, 6 Pacific. So I hope that gets some people excited. Uh, Like I said, we'll put the word out tomorrow to everybody who wasn't. Uh, on the call tonight, uh, and um, I hope that we get a lot of really fun submittals, and it'll be fun to put that together and and talk about something that's really interesting and and cool. So, so any final hands? Anybody out there? Uh, last call for any comments, questions. If not, we're going to do the wrap up.
3: Uh, Tarika uh, is back up. Okay. I once heard a question asked: If a blind person was in a self-driving vehicle, how would they know the police are trying to stop them for whatever reason? That's a great question. Bring it next Tuesday.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You just bought me a month to think about that answer. Um, I think there is an answer, but um, I think that's a really, really cool question. Anybody else?
3: Not at this time. All
0: right. Well, we're going to wrap it up. I want to again thank our guests, David and Donna. David, thank you. Donna, thank you. I want to thank Herbie for doing uh, clubhouse work um, and also for streaming. Uh, This does become a podcast, and it only becomes a podcast because I actually knew how to hit the record button and because the good folks at ACB Media make it into a podcast. So thank you so much for that. Uh, and also, Travis, thank you for hosting and, and keeping everything on time and on track. You're welcome. Uh, we are we are going to wrap this up until next uh, until February. Everybody, uh, good night and enjoy your evening.